Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast. I'm Stetson. And I'm Gabe. In this episode, we are talking about hot new gadgets coming out this summer. It's our summer tech special. Yeah, this is, I mean, we didn't really plan this this way, but the company said, hey, it's summer. You might all be at the beaches chilling and relaxing and trying not to get sunburned, but we're going to burn you with some sweet new technology. It's hot. And that's what we're seeing. Ooh, crazy new gadgets. Yes, indeed. We got cameras, we got gaming devices, we got, I mean, it's a wide array of stuff. We're only going to touch on some of the hottest tech items uh, and stuff that really piqued our interest. But yeah, I mean, we saw everything from, you know, lenses or I think there was also uh, some cell phone news coming out, but we won't really touch on that because there's always kind of rumors in that category. This is actually some confirmed stuff that actually happened, not just speculation. Yeah, so you're going to be able to purchase these products already or they're coming out in the very near future and something to get excited about uh, going either back to school or going into the uh, holiday season. Yeah, so I mean, let's just get right to it. I, we, I mean, it's hot out. I don't want to waste any more time sitting around recording a podcast. So let's get into this episode right now. The first thing that I think was the most exciting uh, was the Sigma FP mirrorless camera for me. Well, and Gabe, what like what is the Sigma FP mirrorless camera? So I know Sigma. I used uh, they make the quote unquote YouTuber lens, eighteen to thirty five millimeter lens. Uh, are is this their first entry into the camera space? I think they do have another camera or two out. They're you know around the eight hundred to twelve hundred dollar range. But this could potentially be a little more expensive as it is full frame, and it is really set to kind of shake up the whole full frame mirrorless industry. Uh, Sigma is not, you know, set with just, all right, doing things at the status quo or doing things as is. They're trying to make this camera the smallest and lightest full frame camera to date. Uh, It's supposed to be under a pound without battery and SD card. Uh, And the specs are just really kind of quite amazing. It has uh, 24.6 megapixels, uh, 14-bit raw uh, photos. So that's very good image quality with, you know, a lot of color depth. I also can output 4K 24 FPS 12-bit RAW to, you know, your Ninja recorders or whatever else external recorders you might use. And it has this really cool mode called Cinemagraph mode. Uh, Do you know what a Cinemagraph is? Yeah, I actually remember doing a a homework assignment in high school for this. Uh, Basically, what a Cinemagraph is, is right, you have a still image and there's one part of it that is essentially an animated GIF and it's moving. Yeah, these are really cool images uh, to put up, you know, something a little different to put on your Instagram feed or Twitter or whatever. And there is actually apps that can take, you know, like if you take a still photo of a waterfall, you can go in, I think it's like Flow Motion Pro or something like that. And you can actually, it will kind of animate it for you. But it's, you know, it's not the best thing. And it only works with like certain things, like I said, with waterfalls and stuff like that. But with this new uh, Sigma camera, it will actually have a cinemagraph mode built in so you can create a GIF with moving parts right in the camera. Uh, And that's, yeah, I mean, that's really cool. That's amazing. Um, Traditionally, what I had to do in my in my class is I had to capture uh, or record a video and then turn it into a cinemagraph using Photoshop. So it's, this is amazing that it's being done in the camera. But Gabe, how do you feel about that? It looks like this camera, it, it not only does cinemagraphs, but it has different color profiles. It's got a lot of different creative tools for, for essentially processing images. Do you like processing your images on camera? Or would you rather have like the powerful processor in your computer handle all of that image manipulation? Well, I think it's, it's that's a you know that's a fair point that yeah a lot of people do uh, love to and I am one of those that I like to use my computer I know how to do it on my computer and the tools are a lot more powerful often however we are seeing you know I mean smartphones are you know are super powerful now so they can take similar processors put them into cameras and so much content is being posted very quickly so it helps to be able to you know if hey if I can have my camera you know do a cinemagraph eighty percent as well as I can do on my computer, but you know, it only takes two minutes versus me on my computer, maybe taking an hour or two. That's uh, extremely helpful, especially if I want to, you know, get to something else and not spend forever on that project. Absolutely. I see this as a huge potential for social media people, like being able to create this uh, creative content so fast and so easily directly on the camera. Like you said, saving a lot of time. I think that's where this really has a lot of potential. 
Yeah, and the interesting thing about this camera, I'll just describe if people haven't seen it, is it's very minimalistic. It's reminiscent of, you know, the Blackmagic uh, pocket cinema cameras a little bit. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like Sony's or, uh, you know, really even Canon's or Nikon's or Panasonic's. For one, the general menu buttons, which are usually on the top of the camera above the LCD screen, those have been moved to the bottom. So there's kind of a bar under the 3.2 inch LCD touchscreen. And then you have on the front really nothing other than, yeah, just, just the logo and, you know, the front part of the dial for controlling the aperture. So it's a very interesting approach. They really went to what was essential for, uh, you know, a mirrorless full frame camera today and then built it up adding features that were new features that could be helpful uh, given today's, you know, the production style. One thing I think is awesome, you know how most cameras have that mode dial that has like 52,000 modes and you only use two of them? Yes, I do know that. Yeah, so now the, the uh, Sigma FP basically just has a still mode and a sign mode, and it's just a switch that you put back and forth. So, all right, all right you need to, you know, record a video. All right, you put it into sign mode. All right, you need to take a picture, switch into still mode. So much easier. Is it? Is it sign? Is it cine? It might be cine, but I call it sign. Okay. Because yeah, but... I started calling it sign just now, and I'm going to commit to that 100%. I love that. I love the commitment. But yeah. yeah, honestly, I love this ingenious idea. Like, this is something that is so fundamental. When I use a camera, it's either in photo mode and I'm taking images, or it's in video mode, I'm taking videos. Having just a dedicated switch to instantaneously switch between those, beautiful. Love to see that. Yeah, and then you, like, once you're in, you know, cine mode, I guess I'll switch to what you're calling it, or still image mode, then you can, you know, change from, all right, aperture priority you know, HDR mode, panorama mode, you can go in between the individual modes there, but you don't really need a physical switch on the uh, external part of the camera. It just adds weight and yeah, is kind of a little bit unnecessary in today's world. It also looks like it has a dedicated tone and color button. Um, and I think this ties back to the creative potential this camera has where it's able to do uh, some cool image processing just in the camera itself, again, saving you time. Um, in post-production. Yeah, I mean, th that that is basically, yeah, you've summed it up there. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing is we don't have a release date yet for this camera. It is expected probably it will be out in the fall. I mean, Sigma did actually uh, officially announce this. So, you know, it's 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 out in the open. They're, you know, they're trying to get it out there before possibly, you know, some other mirrorless cameras come out. But yeah, you know, I'd expect this to be in like probably the you know, probably $1,600 to $2,000 range, maybe a little bit more expensive depending on uh, what they offer for in, uh, internal video recording. But yeah, expect it probably the fall, uh, maybe like October. So, And Gabe, who, who do you think this uh, full frame camera from Sigma is for? I mean, I really think this will be a hit among vloggers if they can, uh, you know, price it right because the size and uh, compactness of this camera is just going to be huge. Also, it could be really popular just among everyone because if you add an external video recorder to it, you know, the 12-bit raw video is really handy and uh, that's really only seen in the likes of uh, the new like Nikon Z6 or Z7 and I think that's about it. Maybe Sony might offer it or Pan I think maybe Panasonic might also offer it in their S1 cameras to output that high, but even I think Sony is only 10-bit raw out. So yeah, that's really quite amazing what Sigma is looking to do with this camera. Yeah, I, I actually kind of see this rivaling the Blackmagic uh, camera that just came out, um, both in terms of the size and what it's claiming to do with the specs and also the user interface where it's kind of a, a simpler approach where you're not getting uh, buried in Canon's, uh, or excuse me, Sony's menu system. So it's um, a little bit easier and more intuitive to use. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. We'll probably be talking about that in a couple more months. Uh, what do we have up next, Stetson? I, I think we should keep with the camera trend. All we right, had mate. another new camera come out, uh, this one from Sony. And Gabe, you've been waiting for a, a Sony camera yeah, please, to come out, right? It's the A7S III, right? Right, yeah, that's I what everyone's wanted. Be. So this is the follow-up to what? the great video nope it's actually no, yes uh, the sony a7r no, mark no, IV. no i wasn't ready 
Ah, uh, that is, yeah, I saw this and I saw new Sony camera and then I kept reading and saw the R after the 7. And I was a bit let down uh, just on that, uh, you know, point because I do want the A7S II and there are probably hundreds of thousands of video creators out there uh, that and freelance filmmakers and videographers that are all chomping at the bit. Just come on, Sony, release that A7S III. And yeah, that was released in 2015. It's four years later now. We still haven't seen an update. But in that time period, we've seen two updates to the uh, R line of the A7 series. Wow, that's I didn't actually know that, but it's amazing the the R is getting so much more focus. And and this one, despite Gabe, your I would say disappointment in not being the camera you were looking for, it actually seems pretty good. Like this camera's packing some specs. We're talking a 61 megapixel camera, and that like that's nuts that's yeah absolutely that's, that's, massive. The, that's the number one or like the largest sensor in a mirrorless full frame camera uh based on resolution i think the previous high was maybe like 48 megapixels in what the panasonic s1r or like 50 something but yeah this at 61 blows them all away and so it's obviously this is the one that's more dedicated to still photos and you know is for high-end uh photographers actually it's more megapixels than the a9 Sony's other mirrorless, that is technically their mirrorless camera, but that also has a lot more pro features, faster shooting and stuff like that. And uh, this also has 576 autofocus points with uh, Sony's really precise autofocus system. It does face tracking, it does eye tracking. I've been using their a7 III. I've been very impressed with what it has to offer in terms of its focusing capabilities. I think this is gonna be, exceeding that and and performing very well um along yeah, uh, the amazing thing you mentioned the 567 phase detection points at 74 percent coverage on the frame what's also so awesome about you know all right 61 megapixels you might not need that all the time but you can use then APS-C, APS-C crop mode all right uh, and still get 26 megapixels and have 325 point phase detection that covers the full frame that's nuts. Yeah. So like if you have a, you know, if you're going out doing wildlife photography and you want some extra reach on your lens, switch to crop mode and you, you know, you instantly get like that extra crop factor and you've got still, you know, 325 points, which is more than a lot of other cameras and still 26 megapixels, which is totally usable. Which I'll add is higher resolution than my camera. I think the a7 III is 24 megapixels. Yeah, it is actually. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty incredible. Granted, that's not, you know, the full frame, but still with, with longer lenses and such, you get that, uh, you know, that, what is it? That, you know, the depth of Extra field. Extra reach. Well, you get the depth of field. So I'm saying you don't, if you're using the full frame just for that, you know, the shallower depth of field, using a longer lens, you're already going to get that uh, compression that will make it look like you have a... Uh, larger or lower depth of field so yeah it's That's this really is cool this is incredible also if 61 megapixels wasn't enough for you this has this mode called pixel shift multi shooting mode uh which will capture s- capture 16 frames uh and each one will have a slightly sh- like slightly shift the uh, sensor and it can combine them all for 24 me- or 240 megapixels that is absolutely isn't that insane absurd that's nuts wow yeah I, I I would love to see one of these in full resolution eventually because, yeah, if that can do a like a really good job of stitching those each and like each image together into one solid image, 240 megapixels is just insane. And it sounds based on that technology, this camera is coming with IBIS, the in-body image stabilization. Is that true? Yep. Uh, it has 5.5 stop uh, in-body stabilization. So incredible and speaking of the body they also kind of redesigned a lot of the buttons and the body itself so i know sony's have been you know critiqued for a long time especially their uh, beginning generation of the a7 series about how they weren't very ergonomic you know the hand grip kind of felt like you were holding a brick or it it was non-existent so they've been dealing with a lot of issues and that's kind of what comes when you do a super fast release cycle like they were doing but now that they've kind of slowed down a little bit They've really worked on improving some of the smaller things like the usability, the controllability, and like how it feels in your hand. And uh, I was seeing for video creators, this is predominantly a photo camera, but I was seeing it does record 4K HDR at 30 frames per second. Yeah, I mean, that's 
that's kind of standard with Sony's cameras. I don't think it has a f full frame recording though. So the, again, that is like the Super Cine, uh, Super 35 mode. So you're not getting that full frame sensor like you do on the A7S II, which is why people love the S series cameras. But still, yeah, it's very capable for video. And they also added the fact that you can use its eye focus tracking on video mode. So that is really helpful for people who shoot, you know, uh, models or pets or stuff like that. And Gabe, has Sony listened to all the fans uh, wanting them to release the flip out screen to compete with Canon? Uh, have they? I don't know. I think I think no, they have not. They, yeah, they that have would not, be too no. good. But it is a touch screen. And honestly, I I don't really miss the flip out Canon screen too much. Occasionally now and then it'd be like, yeah, it'd be nice. But it's what Sony's doing is good. I mean, this camera starts at thirty five hundred dollars. So pretty expensive camera. But yeah, it's quite amazing what they're doing. Uh, and we'll yeah, we'll see. It goes on sale, I think. Uh, September it's shipping it's available for pre-order now but yeah this camera is going to be in the hands of a lot of photographers probably not as many video users but they did also one more thing is they added uh, a new audio interface a digital audio interface so you get more options when recording video to how to look at your audio and I think all these little improvements for video you know the redesigned body the uh, more ergonomic grip you know the changed uh, buttons uh, in the that new audio interface stuff that we're gonna see now in the a7s3 which they have confirmed is in the works and will most likely probably be coming out sometime in the fall that yeah I think per usual Canon really or excuse me Sony really knocked it out of the park here with their a7r mark 4 this is a feature rich feature packed camera a great step up in their lineup and like you said it, I think it's gonna be in the hands of a lot of pro photographers and I think they're going to be really satisfied with uh, what the Sony A7R 4 has to offer. Yeah. Do you do you find yourself needing more resolution ever or no? I have been using uh, the 4K video. I love being able to punch in. This does shoot 4K for video purposes. Uh, I'm, I'm so talking on stills, though. I think that's fine. For stills, I mean, I haven't really felt I've needed more, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I so feel then, like for, for my use, I've been fine. Then I feel this is probably more for like, yeah, landscape photographers and some people who are doing some really high quality, like print work and stuff like that. I think, yeah, that's, that's really the key here is, is print. Um, you need the high resolution if you're going to be printing your images, uh, with a high PPI and people are going to be viewing these up close. Um, yeah. and yeah, that's, if you're printing, this camera is going to be for you. Yep, that is. So let's keep with the camera. Let's. I guess let's just knock all the cameras out. All the new camera releases right away. Let's get to Canon. Unfortunately, we don't got any new full... Or we don't got... There we go. Good English. We don't have any new full-frame cameras coming from Canon. But they did release uh, some exciting new point-and-shoots, right? This is true. This is true. Canon just announced uh, two new point-and-shoots, follow-ups to their... Uh, previous point and shoot lineups. These are the Canon G5X Mark II and the G7X Mark III. Um, and uh, Gabe, what like what makes these cameras uh, so great? Well, I mean, for people who aren't familiar with uh, Canon's point and shoot line and don't have them all named down and know all the specs, these are really their higher end point and shoots. They you know they both are around a. a 750 to $800 and they have one inch sensors which really is for me the key feature of why you'd get a point and shoot versus a cell phone because you get that larger sensor size uh, which is, isn't as big obviously as you know a crop sensor or anything but it's still a lot bigger than what you get in a cell phone and these also offer uh, of course optical zoom you get 4.2 X optical zoom on the G7X Mark III and 5X optical zoom on the G5X Mark II so you know some nice optical zoom one inch sensor they added some cool new features like vertical video which I think is really a nod to where we're seeing content going you know so much of content is created in the vertical format nowadays so that's a cool thing to see them do. And of course, the big thing that everyone was waiting for, drum roll, 4K video. That's right. Yeah. These cameras now Finally. have 4K. 
Yeah, they've been very popular. I mean, the G7X uh, Mark III has been very popular among vloggers because at $750, it's not as expensive as a lot of Sony's offerings, but it was held back a little bit by the fact that it only had 1080p. You know, I mean, not everyone needs 4K, but it is a nice option to have that makes sure that your camera is going to be, you know, future proofed a little. So thank you, Canon, for finally, you know, five years late to the party adding 4K video. Uh, yeah, to these cameras. I will add they also shoot full HD at 120 frames per second. So you can get some cool slow motion shots. And yeah, a lot of people love Canon's color science, their image processing and I think we, you know, we did a dedicated travel episode. Uh, this to me would be a, a strong contender for a point and shoot to take with you on a trip. Like it's, it's smaller, it's lighter, it's got great zoom, um, zoom range. It's got a flip out screen so you can see yourself if you're taking either a photo or vlogging and recording a video. And you know, I think this is something people could absolutely consider for for traveling or, or for daily vlogging or anything like that. Yeah, I really, these seem kind of more geared for your everyday user and stuff like that. The Sony uh, RX100 Mark VI, which is Sony's top of the line point and shoot, still really beats out the Canon 5X Mark II in almost every category. Really, the only two that Canon wins is they have a lower price point at $900 versus $1,200 for the RX100 Mark, IV, uh, Mark VI. And they also actually have a lower aperture of f 1.8 versus sony's f 2.8 so that's two key differences that the canon has however sony if you're shooting video and you want to point and shoot for video i mean you really can't beat their 4k video quality where you can use s log 2 or s log 3 for flat color profiles and the fact that we're yeah okay canon can do full hd at 120 frames a second well, talk, let's take a look at Sony's Full HD at 240, 480, or 960 frames a second. Now, granted, at the 960 frames a second and 480 frames a second, you're getting a lot more compression so that they can shoot that many frames a second. I'm pretty sure it has a limited recording time too, but still, yeah, they blow uh, Canon specs out of the water, but also it does come at a price. Yeah, I mean... Both are going to be very solid point and shoot options. And, you know, it's almost like these cameras mirror the mirrorless options where, again, Sony dominates in specs and performance. The features they are packing into their cameras, the huge autofocus coverage, um, uh, the image resolution, the quality. Um, but still, I think Canon has a, a good place in the market. It, they've won a lot of people over, again, with their color and... Um, you know, I think it's exciting to see the PowerShot series, the G5X Mark II and the G7X Mark III finally get the 4K and I, um, Stetson. I know yeah. you're looking. I know you're looking to get a point and shoot, right? Eventually, possibly. Possibly, it's something I do consider. Would you go for the Sony, uh, being it more expensive, or would you think you'd go for the Canon? I think price. at this point, I would absolutely go for the Canon. I started out shooting on Canon bodies. I love their simpler interface. And um, I actually see the G5X or even the G7X as almost more versatile than the Sony camera just because you get the flip out screen. So with the Canon G5X, normally it'll it'll the screen will rotate out and you can see it. This one can actually flip almost vertically straight up and over so you can see I yourself. Think, I think Sony's does that too, though, just not to not to ruin your, your speech. My great point. Yeah. So, but but I do agree with the other stuff, the, you know, the color science uh, and the user interface of Canon's cameras really looks a lot nicer, plus the lower price point. I mean, you know, $300 isn't huge, huge, but it's that's a pretty big difference when you're talking only about, you know, a, a $900 camera to a $1,200 camera. That's a pretty big percentage change. Yeah, I was I was just checking, and you're absolutely right. The uh, the Sony camera can it can flip out. Yes, but and I don't here know. Comes oh, golden shopping cart. Yeah, just just rolling straight towards <laughs> Gabe. Once again, get in the again. I'm telling right. you, it's the geography. I'm in Massachusetts. We're just like more up. I don't know. It's like um, when you when you leave the shopping cart in the park, or when you're sitting in your car and a shopping cart just goes rolling across like a ghost is pushing it. And you're just like, no, and then you have to go running after yeah. it before it so, crashes into something. 
So we'll see those two cameras uh, coming out August 2nd. That's when they start shipping. So check them out on B&H's site or Amazon uh, if you want to pre-order them. And you can have them uh, to use before the end of the summer. So if you have, you know, an end of summer camping trip or stuff like that, you can bring your new uh, point and shoot camera out to try it out and use it to take some nice pics. Or even if you're doing a semester abroad, this is a great nope, opportunity. Nope, they actually, Canon says you cannot use these on semester abroad. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, looks like you're picking up the Sony. Yeah, these are, no, these are very versatile cameras. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see some actual direct comparisons color-wise and, you know, resolution-wise, sharpness and stuff like that. But we'll have to wait till we get into August to actually see that. I'd love to see the reviews of these two when they drop. Gabe, do you think this is something that could replace um, like a, a a more proper mirrorless camera, like an A7 III or something? Like, could could someone use this as a YouTube no, production? No, 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 no. Just I'll just cut it off. No, it's really. I mean, yes, you can start with one of these possibly, but the fact that you don't have uh, interchangeable lenses, you know, you don't have that larger sensor because these are the one inch sensors smaller than an APS APS-C crop sensor. Is it ASP? No, APS-C, I'm pretty sure. It's, it's APS-C. Yeah, so it's smaller than the crop sensor. I'm pretty sure it's smaller than Micro Four Thirds even. You know, it, it is better than your cell phone in some ways. Uh, cell phones have smarter image processing in a lot of ways too. So yes, it, it's more in the cell phone category, but I do think that ultimately, yeah, you probably want to eventually go to, uh, you know, a larger camera. It depends what you're filming. Lenses. Depends what you're filming, though. It depends on your video. You know, if your main point of your content isn't the video quality and is more about the content, then you know, having a smaller camera for vlogging, you know, or something where you need a smaller camera that can help you get more content, better content, then this might be all you need potentially. So it really depends. I'm curious, interested to see it when it comes out. And again, cool camera updates from Canon. I think that's all we have for the cameras. Cameras. And actually, why don't we just take a break? And, you know, we're about like 20 or so minutes in, 25 minutes in. Let's do a, well, we don't we don't have a sponsored segment because we aren't sponsored. But let's do our not sponsored segment and talk about who we're not sponsored by. I uh, think that's a great idea. I think, do I go first this time? I think you are first this time. Okay. All My right. My memory let me, serves let me, me correct. Ready. Uh, yeah, up, stretch it up, out, feel, figure ready. out what you're going for as I right. locate my clock application. Yeah, we have 30 seconds the on the clock I get. 30 All seconds. Right. Are you ready? And I am ready whenever we are. On your mark, get set, go. Hi, my name is Gabe Shakur, and I would like to say that this week, the Pinch to Zoom podcast is not sponsored by Twitter adding the ability to edit tweets. You know, Twitter is the only social media platform where, okay, other than Snapchat and, okay, Instagram stories. All right, but you can edit your Instagram posts. You can edit your Facebook posts. You can edit even now your YouTube videos once they're up. But you know what you can't edit? Twitter. So Twitter, please make it so we can edit our tweets. Even just give us a five-minute window after we post. 30. That's it. Yeah, that's what I want to say on that. And now it's your turn. Uh, All right. Getting ready on the 30-second shot clock. And three, two... One, this episode of Pinch to Zoom podcast is not sponsored by Verb Energy. Verb makes healthy, nutritious energy bars with the same amount of caffeine as a shot of espresso. These 90 calorie bars help you feel energized throughout the day using uh, caffeine derived from green tea. So um, wake up, have a Verb bar, uh, feel energized and have a productive day. Okay, that, that felt way too written out. It I'm was gonna, not. It was not. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to look up what their ad copy is that they send to other people to make sure that you're not pulling directly from that because that feels pretty, pretty well rehearsed and like well written out. I, I just know. I just got into them. Um, Wait, is it verb or verve? Verb. Ver, like spelled like a verb, like an action thing? Like, yeah, verb. the V-E-R-B verb here. This is what. I had that's the package pretty, on it. That's hand. pretty I, clever because it's like verb is like a, to do something. So I do yeah. like the naming. I'll applaud their naming. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I might have to try that out. What's your uh, verb? My verb is actually uh, walking currently. I like that. You know, I'm it's a step still, in the right still, direction. Literally. Haha. 
Uh, because because I'm recovering from my ankle injury, so walking is my current fastest mode of transport. I've done a couple quick, you know, jogs or stuff like that, but really, walking is the mode currently. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, let's, let's get back into the news. Uh, we still got a lot of gear to cover, and we're moving away from cameras to something that's not at all camera related and is really our forte the nintendo switch light yes yeah, so we're, we're just crazy gamers as so. yeah as the audience know gabe and i have been gaming non-stop uh gabe what's the latest game we've been playing uh i've actually been playing uh fortnite still i uh, like it yeah, you know i'm still huge into candy crush haven't stopped yeah. won't stop I, I was actually i was actually uh this new one came out called pong i've been playing uh, and I heard that Snake was possibly this new game around the corner coming out. Ooh. Very groundbreaking breaking graphics. No, uh, jokes jokes aside, uh, yeah, we're not the biggest gamers, but I do pay attention to a lot of the gaming news because I have this dream that one day maybe I'll get into gaming or it's also just, you know, interesting to pay attention to because it's uh, an aspect of storytelling that's very interactive and it's also, you know, is driven by a lot of the technological advancements that you see in computing technology. So, what's new with the Switch? Uh, yeah, what is what is new with the Switch? What is is new it with the Switch? It's not much is new. The only thing uh, that's new is the cheaper price. The Switch Lite comes at two hundred dollars versus the S- Nintendo Switch's three hundred dollar price tag, and it's a lot more small. So it's more like a two DS, uh, as it's only intended for handheld held use. You know. And the biggest thing that I think is kind of funny is it might be called the Nintendo Switch Lite, but it actually can't switch. You know, the big feature about the Nintendo Switch was, oh, you can play it and then you can, you know, dock it on your for your TV. You know, you can take off the Joy-Cons, all that stuff. This can't do that. Uh, and so it's not really a Switch, but at the same time, it is a Switch. Yeah, this was a really interesting product to me, and I think it's... Nintendo's way of reaching a younger audience where the parents are going to be paying for the console. They needed a lower price tag. And I actually see this replacing the Nintendo DS. And, you know, that's kind of a hot take from a non-gamer. But I really do think this uh, sort of the form factor Nintendo has achieved, along with the popularity of the Switch, can really give the Switch Lite a boost. And I could easily see people carrying this around. Gabe, you mentioned the Nintendo 2DS. I think even just the the DS itself or the 3DS, the whole, that whole line, yeah, yeah. I, I think this could be like a new um, a new way forward for Nintendo and their handhold handheld uh, gaming systems. Yeah, it is. It is definitely they're trying to go for that. You know, the cheaper price to get you know the younger gamers. You know, not overburdened. You know, families that are you know they're asking for. Oh, mom, I want this new Nintendo thing. Three hundred dollars is just you know it seems a little. Bl- little bigger you know and not quite as giftable as a 200 hundred dollar thing and especially if it goes on sale you know 175 or so uh so yeah also i see this possibly coming in you know if you have like an apartment or like a household with multiple people living in it and say you have a nintendo switch as your main console for everyone you know to play games on watch media you know you can also now get the nintendo switch Lite, so you can you know continue playing a game on your own or in your room when you're out and not have to worry about you know taking away everyone's main console potentially that's a good point i could actually spin this in a slightly different way okay uh, where maybe the parents don't want their kids taking over the tv and playing Ah. on the switch all the time you give them the switch light and they're going to be all set ready to go only doing their handheld gaming so they won't interfere with movie nights or when you're catching up on the latest season of Stranger Things that just came out. Um, so, I don't know, potential parent benefit, um, having your kids have their own device instead of taking over the TV. Yeah, that that is, I could see that too. So, it's, it's definitely, this is a nice uh, expansion of the Switch line. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, it kind of indicated, or there was also some rumors or more confirmation coming out that the Switch Pro won't really be happening ever or or at least this year but we did see that the nintendo switch the original one actually got a revamp a week later after the switch Lite was announced in that they added a slightly better processor and extended the battery life from three to six hours to 4.5 to nine hours so 
yeah that's, that's pretty huge that's nice and it was it was a good thing because the switch light had a battery of three to seven hours so it was like wait this has a better battery than the current switch and then nintendo was like uh hold your hold the phone uh here's the here's the new switch kind of that's not really new but slightly new so. does, does the switch light have the same internal processing power as the switch I don't think it does exactly. I haven't. I don't think there's any confirmation yet because Nintendo, unlike uh, you know Xbox or uh, the P, you know PlayStation, they aren't really big on specs. They're more about the whole experience, the look, and that stuff. So they don't really uh, release specs when they announce products, and and you know the specs really come once the products released and people tear it down or benchmark it and stuff like that. So I don't think we actually know what processor it's going to be running. That's interesting. I think uh, from my experience, I had the Nintendo GameCube and the Wii. I love those. And, you know, to your point, you're kind of right that the experience Nintendo creates is great. And many people who are buying it, they don't necessarily care about the specs. They care about having a great Nintendo gaming experience. And I think that's what the Switch Lite is aiming to provide at a more affordable uh, price point. Yeah, so uh, check it out on September 20th. I'm pretty sure the date is going to start shipping. Uh, there's three colors that it comes in. I think it's gray, blue, and well, the blue is kind of more turquoise yellow. and a yellow. And they're also releasing a couple special edition ones. I know there's a Pokemon special edition one, and I think there's another one out there. But yeah, so they're they're ready to go uh, come the, well, I guess technically the last day of summer. But yeah, for the fall, you know, back to school season or the holiday season. Right when you have the most time to game. Yes, I'm going back to school. I can. Oh, no, wait. I am crushed with homework. And <laughs> never mind. I don't, so. It'll still be fun during the holiday season. I remember uh, getting a Nintendo Game Boy for Christmas. And then, boom, so much fun and joy playing that. All right, Gabe, what, what is next on the new segment? What else? What new product do we have coming out? So here we have, I guess we'll stick with the light uh, qualification or... Uh, Game, not gamification, makeification, brandification, expansification. Yeah, expansification is the word. The light expansification of a product line. We had DJI releasing their Ronin SC, which is technically, and it can kind of be called the Ronin S Lite, but in also a lot of ways is more advanced than the Ronin S. So wait, wait, wait. Does that mean it's a Ronin S Pro? Well, well first, first, for those people who don't know what what I'm even talking about when I say Ronin S or Ronin or DJI or when I even say words, first learn the English language. Then DJI is obviously the maker of drones uh, and they also have a lot of other camera products and they're a part owner of Hasselblad now. So very good uh, creative con- uh, quality creating. Uh, I can't talk products for, I have to learn English now. You know, I, I, you want me to just take over, take a breather? You take over here. So, yeah. so basically DJI, they Give make it a drones. Try. No, I'm they're, back here and very good up uh, products for, okay, you take it over again. They make, they're amazing at stabilizing video All right, footage. And here I go one more time. I'm going to give it a try. And they're, the drones are like birds that they fly. All right. You, I guess you're just going to have to take I'm this. I'm just going to take this one. So DJI, they make amazing stabilizers and gimbals. When the Ronin line is, is their camera stabilizing systems. They had a Ronin M. This is a massive boxy stabilizer. Then they came out with the Ronin S. This is a handheld device. It's almost like you're holding uh, like a, a wand or something that has the stabilizer attached with multiple axes. And then the Ronin SC is you just kind of scale the Ronin S down a little bit. It's a little bit smaller lighter it still has the same battery life you'd expect or very similar um and it's made for basically smaller mirrorless cameras and like gabe said it's the light version in terms of it being a little bit smaller but it's also kind of a pro version because it has some new advanced features that are unique to the sc better than the ronin s and not available on the other stabilizers currently being offered from dji so, Gabe, what is new with the SC? So, basically, I, I have the Ronin S, and I've, I really liked it. But one of the biggest things I did notice initially was that it is pretty heavy. It weighs 3.2 pounds and 4 pounds when you have the grip added. So, yeah, that's pretty heavy when you're also adding a camera that weighs possibly, you know, 4 pounds, 5 pounds, essentially. That's like almost 10 pounds that you're holding with one arm, usually. 
uh, and trying to then also run around and do smooth controlled movements because even though the gimbal can you know smooth out most of the stuff it still helps if you're not you know raising the camera from your waist to your head every time you take a step so yeah that's the biggest thing is that this uh the ronin sc only weighs 2.42 pounds so a lot lighter uh and again 11 hour battery life about the same as the ronin s now they added some new features which have really uh kind of marked that this is kind of the what i call have been calling the gen 2 of single-handed gimbals you know the ronin s was really the part of the first generation of those single-handed gimbals. Now you've seen the Zhiyun uh, Crane 2 Lab. You've seen the Moza Air, Aircross 2 and uh, the Feutech AK4500. So three major gimbal makers have come out with these new brand of gimbals. And essentially what these have been is, you know, lighter, smarter, uh, and more importantly, more usable. And so they've, you know, gotten a lot of feedback from users who have said, hey, this is what we need. And they've added those features. It's true. This this is really packing uh, in terms of features. And, you know, I think one of the other aspects of purchasing a gimbal that, you know, some people may not consider is the application that goes along with it, like how you control the gimbal, how you change the settings of the gimbal. A lot of manufacturers make a application for your phone that accompanies the gimbal for changing certain settings. And I think DJI really did a good job improving their application. So we got um, some new settings and features exclusively available for the Ronin SC. And um, that, that's been amazing to see. One of them is the motion control. Yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. Uh, they, Ha used to have this accessory for the Ronin S and their large Ronin and Ronin M called the Force Pro. And this was kind of this huge handheld thing that you could move around and the gimbal would mimic the movement of that uh, device. So, you know, you could tilt it up, it would tilt the camera up, tilt it down, you know, you get it. It's basically like a magic wand in, set in a way. So now, rather than, you know, making people try to buy this, you know, $900, I think it might be even a $1,000 accessory, they actually released, uh, you know, with their application, the ability to do force mobile, which is using your accelerometer and gyroscope in your phone, you can take your phone and link it to your gimbal. And now you can actually, you know, move your phone and that movement controls the gimbal. So that is really cool to see since pretty much everyone has a smartphone. The other big thing here is active track. This is something that's been amazing in DJI drones, where you can literally, you're controlling the drone with your phone. You can tap and draw a box around a subject, whether it's a person or a car or something that's gonna be moving. And the drone would then follow that subject. It would keep it in frame. It could stay a certain distance from it. With ActiveTrack 3.0 on the Ronin SC, you can mount your phone onto your camera, which is on the Ronin SC. And the phone and the accompanying application, you can do the same thing. Draw a box around a subject like a person and the Ronin SC will automatically pan and tilt and keep that subject in the frame. Yeah, this is pretty cool. We'll have to see how well it works because unlike the active track that they use in their drones, which is you know all in one system, this is effectively using your phone to you put in, all right, I'm using, you know, this full frame camera with this lens at this focal length. And then it goes, all right, and looks at your camera's field of view and says, all right, this is effectively what that camera is going to be seeing. And then, so when you draw, you know, around the, you know, say you're filming a person and you draw around that person, it will then try to keep that person within what it estimates is going to be the frame of your camera. So it's, there could be some issues, you know, with compatibility and really the DJI releasing the software, you know, that keeps it up to date and keeps it working right. But this is a huge thing for, you know, anyone who's used a gimbal before. When you're trying to do that shot, like rotating around someone or something, a lot of times it takes a lot of takes to get it right because you have to, A, you know, make sure that you're not tripping over something and falling. So, all right, let me walk in the right path. All right, now let me, let me turn the gimbal the right way. All right, now, you know, like there's so many things that go into keeping that fr frame perfectly centered. And, you know, just one small twitch can throw off that perfect, you know, circular move around an object or, an, or a person or something. So, yeah, this is huge that they added this. I will have to say that they weren't the first to do it. I'm pretty sure either Zayun or Moza has a similar thing. 
but kind of like how Apple does, I expect that DJI has done with, uh, you know, has polished up a feature and made it a lot nicer and a lot more user friendly. You also get some really cool time lapse features where you can set uh, the Ronin SC up uh, and program in a time lapse on your phone and have the camera just move slowly uh, for a duration of time. So that's really cool to see. And Gabe, did you uh, mention the safety lock or the locking arms? I didn't, and this is really, honestly, the it's a tiny. It seems like a tiny feature, but it is huge. And I just got the AK forty five hundred gimbal from Feutech, and it also has this, so I can attest that this feature is really nice to have. Basically, you know, a three axis gimbal has three motors, and they're you know the the arms that come off it that you mount your camera on kind of rotate independently, and so when it's off, it just kind of is like a sloppy piece of spaghetti, you know, ro- 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 flopping all over the place, except for not spaghetti, obviously. But, you know, it's it's just uncontrollable. And with the Ronin S, you had no way of securing that other than kind of trying to wrap like maybe uh, some Velcro that they included around it or like tying it or zip. I don't know. There was, there was no good way. So now what all these gimbal makers are doing and what DJI did with the Ronin SC is they added gimbal locks on each axis so you can lock down that axis and it won't move at all, uh, which is good for transporting or when you're balancing the gimbal so you don't have to worry about, oh, my tilt axis is going all over the place because it's not balanced and I'm trying to do the you know the, uh, the left to right axis. You know, it just, yeah, it's hard to describe, but if you've used a gimbal before, uh, or you're thinking of using it and kind of understand how they work, this is a really nice feature to have. I saw someone else too um, comment on just the little joystick. So these gimbals to control some of their features and movements, they have a little uh, joystick. It, it's not, it doesn't really look like an Xbox controller joystick, but it has the same kind of like circular design. You can move it all around. Um, and the Ronin S had a joystick you could unscrew. And this could potentially be good for travel. But as Gabe mentioned, you know, you have these spaghetti arms flapping all over the place. So you, you basically need to throw this thing in a case anyway. And some YouTubers were commenting they would lose the joystick because it would just come un- unscrewed and it's a tiny little piece and boom, gone. This one uh, has, a, has a solid joystick that's not coming off. And it just feels, I've heard it feels better, uh, easier to control. And, um, you know, kind of with the other improvements has just been a, tiny tweak here tiny tweak there that's really making the ronin sc come together as a powerful popular um gimbal and gabe what's what's the price on this guy so price point is going to be 449 dollars, so basically 450 and a lot of sites have been being like oh my gosh this is so much cheaper than the ronin s because the ronin s was originally released for i think 750 dollars However, DJI now has the Ronin S Essential Kit, or I think that's what they call it, and that starts at $500, so it's not really that much cheaper than the Ronin S, and that does kind of go in line with the fact that even though this is a smaller, lighter, you know, can't handle as much heavy cameras, it is a lot more advanced as far as, like, smart features are concerned. So, Stetson, my question to you is, I know you don't have a gimbal yet. Would you be looking at possibly getting this uh, while you wait for your Rhino slider to come in? You know, that's actually a really good question. I'm deeply intrigued by this product, and part of me does want to get it. What's holding me back is I use the Sony 24 to 105 millimeter lens, and this is a pretty large lens. And I've had some people say that, you know, even though this is made for smaller mirrorless cameras, having a large lens with that distributes the weight of the camera more forward can be more challenging to balance on the SC. And so I'm unsure if it'd be able to handle that um, or if I'd want something that could support a larger payload. Um, I think what I'd want to do is confirm it would work with my current setup and then um, very maybe. I mean, if I was to get a gimbal right now, this is it, hands down. So yeah, I, I think it does work with your setup. I know they have on their site, they have a PDF of all the confirmed uh, compatibility list, you know, with the, each camera that's out and then each lens possibly that you could put on that camera. So I'm actually looking at it right now. And let's see, A7 III. And let's go to the, what do you have, the 24 to 105? Yep. 
uh let's see they have 18 it works with the 18 to 200 somehow so that's crazy 2470 24 come on 18 to 105 yeah it says it does work the question that you'd have to then find out is how much uh you could actually zoom in potentially oh yeah but the the thing you have to remember with gimbals also is you're not going to really want to use this at any focal length really more than probably 70 millimeters. I have a 24 to 70 one and 70 millimeters is about where it becomes almost unusable because it just takes so much, you know, it's so hard to keep that camera centered on the subject once it's that far zoomed in. So yeah, probably, you know, usually use it wider with gimbals. So you won't have to deal with, you know, zooming in and the lens extending. So, so it's, yeah, I mean, for $450, it's a really good tool uh, for someone, you know, this I see this pairing better with something like a Panasonic GH5 because that's a little lighter, and so it's a little better for like you know a quick shooting. But yeah, this can also work with slightly heavier cameras as it supports payloads up to I think about five pounds, like four point nine eight pounds. As uh, someone who's tested out the Ronin S and now your your new gimbal that this company uh, has sent you, like, would you see yourself looking into the SC? Are you fine with your current setup? Is it an upgrade? Like who who is this camera gimbal for? I was not sure. I almost I had it in my cart and I was almost going to buy it, but then I was like, uh, I have a new gimbal kind of and this, you know, the new gimbal that I got, I, it does payloads up to I think 10 pounds. It has a lot of the same new features. So I was like, all right, I don't think I really need this. I'm hoping, you know, that DJI will release, you know, maybe a Ronin S that is like a Ronin S2. But honestly, it's so hard to predict their release schedule. I think this is really for, you know, YouTube creators that, you know, that mainly, yeah, YouTube creators, online creators who aren't really doing pro video work. And so they don't need to mount, you know, uh, a wireless transmitter on their camera or, or really, you know, potentially use all those accessories or heavier cameras because the Ronin S supports up to, I think, uh, eight pounds maybe or 8.8.5 pounds so you don't need that much of a heavier camera but you can also add follow focus on there and you can put a video screen on this Ronin SC so it is expandable uh, so you start out at 450 with the price but you can you know add some more accessories and get it up into the thousand dollar range wow I you know I do like your point for the the GH5 and, and maybe the Panasonic cameras um, okay here's a question for you I know you are very much against using something like the Canon G5X as for video, but do you think a camera like that, like a, a point and shoot on a gimbal, like is that a viable combination right now? That would be really interesting to see. You know, I think it would definitely, it, I mean, it helps the video quality of whatever you put on it. If you put a smartphone on a gimbal, that instantly makes your footage, oh wow, this footage all of a sudden looks, you know, five times better. The thing that I would be dealing with on the, you know, the smaller point and shoots is I guess I guess it could work. I don't know. I would just wonder about the autofocus and stuff like that. And then also you can't ever put a follow focus on there. So how well would it work? But yeah, I'd be interested to see people trying it. The question also I'd have is what is the minimum weight that you can put on the Ronin SC because I know if a camera doesn't come up to a, the a, you know heavy enough weight it actually can't even balance it so that would be a question to check out for specs if you were thinking of putting a lighter camera on the Ronin SC check out the uh, official PDF yeah that would be the the ticket for that uh, yeah so that's excited new exciting news from DJI still waiting on a new drone from them of course Drone Watch 2019 continues. And we'll see when that uh, comes to an end or actually has a you know result. Gabe, I feel like we talk about so many exciting new products and yet the products we want are just not the ones that are coming out. Like you're still waiting for your new camera. You're still waiting for your new drone. Yeah, I'm just waiting on all this stuff. But it's I mean, it's it's expectations. And, you know, eventually, hopefully the companies will fall through with that. Uh, and until then, they're at least releasing some cool new products to expand their product uh, line and offerings. So yeah, now getting to the last thing. I know we we kind of hinted at this or talked about it briefly in the last episode as it was a rumor or that it was coming up, but Apple's uh, really like kind of overhauled their new uh, MacBook line and kind of like slashed some, added some. What did they do exactly, Stetson? 
Yeah, so Apple totally restructured their MacBook offerings. They eliminated the MacBook, the 12-inch Retina display, super... In fact, it was the lightest computer in their lineup. They removed that, and it was... No. No? It's gone? It's gone. Oh, my God. R.I.P. For the few people who use that. Mac, MacBook, the MacBook, uh, that was... What it was... When did it... When was it born? 2016? 2015? 2015? Maybe 2014, 2015 to July uh, 2019. RIP. It will be missed kind of by a few people and then not at all. Yeah, that was an, that was a weird uh, computer because especially now it was like, you know, it's it's not that powerful. It's super light, but at the same time, it's more expensive than an iPad Pro with a keyboard. So why don't you just get that as that has a touchscreen and is far more versatile you know, yeah, I, I think that it was probably a smart move on their part, but it's sad to see it go. And it's also weird because now they don't have just a MacBook. They only have MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. I think it's it's definitely weird in terms of that lineup sense. Um, and in terms of the other updates, so they did do the back to school refresh this is probably what we talked about last time, where basically every summer Apple does their computer lineup refresh. For all of these high school students getting ready to zoom into college or any college students who have just super old laptops ready for that upgrade can start the semester off strong, fresh computer. Um, and so they updated their MacBook Pro, the base model, the 13-inch model, and the MacBook Air. I don't mean to contradict you, but don't they usually do that refresh after school starts? That was only for my year. No, that was my year too because I had that issue as well, in the, and I I kind of hated them for it. But I'm I'm okay if they're doing it in the summer now. That's a lot better because it is super annoying uh, if you're you know like all right oh good school's coming up I got to get a new laptop and all right I got my new laptop yeah this is the way it's not the best laptop anymore and so yeah I I'm glad they're releasing it right before school because then you get kids going back to school with new laptops, you know, that they're going to be able to last, you know, four years at least for college and plus probably more. So thank you, Apple, for doing that, I guess, even though it's probably just so you can make more money. And I think the improvements are, are pretty good too, right? So uh, the MacBook Pro 13 inch, I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear your take. So basically what's new is a few key things here. Um, Apple, they got rid of the top row of keys, the function keys, those F1 through F12 keys you normally see on a computer, they replaced them with their touch bar. So Apple has this small screen, it's a bar, it goes across the top, they call it the touch bar. It uh, offers the same functionality as your function keys, but just in like a touch screen interface. They also added do you touch have a ID. Touch bar on, do you have a touch bar on your computer? Uh, Gabe, yeah, my computer's from 2015. Yeah. So, no. So, no. I I, okay, I have a touch bar on my computer. And I got to say, it's not the most useful thing. I think Apple is trying to tout this as, like, some huge feature. It's really beneficial. But in a lot of ways, I find it, uh, if anything, it takes longer to get to the keys that I really need. And I don't end up using a lot of the keyboard shortcuts that it offers, like, potentially, you know, oh, uh, quick access to bookmarks on Chrome and stuff like that because it's too far to find and there aren't it's not like something that you can feel without looking off the screen. What about when you're like using Final Cut Pro and you can use it to like scrub through your timeline? Even then it's uh, a lot of times well I guess the, the timeline scrubbing feature is pretty cool but with like keyboard shortcuts I often find that I just use keyboard shortcuts because my fingers can naturally rest on those and I know where they are by feel where if I'm, you know, having to, all right, let me let me trim this or let me blade this clip or, you know, add this effect, I have to look down at the, you know, the the little time, whatever that is, the strip, the touch strip, and, uh, you know, try to find where it is. And potentially it might not be up because I haven't highlighted the right section, you know, the right clip, or potentially I'm, you know, highlighting uh, the project rather than the clip. So a certain selection of tools are up. And it's like, yeah, it, it's kind of confusing at times. I mean, you learn to work with it and kind of once you get used to it, it becomes more useful. But still, I think there's a ways to go uh, before that they can make this super useful. Maybe, you know, the movie uh, Black Panther, 
Yes. How how that in that movie they have, I mean, granted this is using a material vibranium, which we don't have on Earth, but they have the ability to like, it can effectively, you know, they can create things out of it that move and stuff. So imagine if they could create a touch bar that was actually 3D buttons that could move and shift and change into different things as you needed them. That's really cool. This reminds me of a product that was a screen protector. And I think it had... Um, I want to say a gel that would uh, fill in pockets where the keyboard keys were. So you would get a tactile typing experience even on your touchscreen. And wow, that's awesome. Right? I mean, talk about adding more components that could easily break and just ranking up repair costs, but could be a unique idea. Uh, I will say one thing I do love is having Touch ID. I think that's a really cool thing to have. These computers are packing new quad-core processors. It's got that T2 security chip. I love the True Tone display. This will automatically adjust white balance based on the ambient lighting conditions around you. And they have the updated butterfly keyboard. Gabe, how do you feel about this butterfly keyboard? It definitely takes some getting used to. Coming from, you know, I was on a 2013 MacBook Pro to... Now the new like 2018 MacBook Pro, and it takes a lot of getting used to because the keys aren't as raised. There's not as much key travel. Uh, you really, yeah, they just don't feel as nice typing. But eventually, you'll get used to it, and you'll just come to accept the lower quality keyboard and key feel and overall satisfaction. No, I mean it's. I get why they're doing it. They're making it thinner. The question I often have is how many of the Pro users. I guess it's really only applies to the MacBook Pros, but how many of the Pro users are actually asking for significantly thinner laptops and w- would just be fine if Apple kept making kind of the same design or just slightly better, but added a lot better, you know, features and, you know, specs and stuff like that? Honestly, I think people would have really preferred the old style keyboard, arguably one of the best keyboards we've seen on mobile computers. And I have certainly been loving it Uh, along with all of my ports. But as we are heading towards a USB-C future, having all the USB-C ports on the new MacBook Pro is, of course, really cool to see. And this guy retails for only $1,299. I say only, that's probably not the right word to use there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a little bit, a little bit pricey, but I think the MacBook Air starts at $999, right? Isn't that true? I'm pretty sure. I'm heading over to Apple's website S- now. Seds, send sets, sets in on a frantic uh, search through Apple's site. But yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, uh, which is good uh, that they at least have something kind of under 1000 I know I really liked it better when Apple had their MacBook Air starting at 799 so that was a lot more tempting for college students and high school students. But 999 isn't completely out of reach. It, it's actually 1099 Yikes. Oh, okay. I think it's $9.99, uh, the student discount is what it is. Oh, that. All right. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Just so that is also a reminder to any students out there. Uh, if you're looking to buy a laptop, Apple does have their education pricing and they have some good deals now where you buy a laptop or a computer and you get some free Beats headphones. So check that out now if you're in the uh, market for an Apple laptop or iPad or whatever. Oh, man. I remember that. I still have my Beats still going strong. Yeah, they. I mean, they're not not the best headphones as far as build quality and stuff, but they're they're arguably you know they're competing with the best of the best because free headphones just you can't can't really argue with yeah. that. So, but that's really it, I think. On I mean, there was a lot of other stuff. Like I said, like you had Sony release a couple new lenses, Canon released a couple new lenses. There was what was it? The Royal foldable phone. Oh yeah, um, Royal foldable phone came out. It's the first commercially available foldable phone. I'm not sure if it's available in the US yet, but I, I think it is available in other places worldwide. Um, yeah. The Royal Flex we, Pi. We also had, uh, I know, the um, AKG released some headphones for like studio use and traveling. They're not wireless, but still, I mean, it's, it's some nice new headphones to compete maybe with the ATH-50s from Audio-Technica. So yeah, a lot of overall tech news coming out in the past weeks. Uh, We'll, you know, in our next episode, we'll cover anything else we missed or any new stuff that happens. But yeah, we just decided to dedicate this one episode all to technology products uh, that have come out uh, in the past like month or so and really dive deep 
and not dive deep as well. It's the hot tech items in this hot summer. Exactly. So, yeah, that's about it. Uh, if you guys aren't already subscribed, well, you don't really have to subscribe to podcasts. If you want to do it, uh, you already found us and listened to this episode this far. So thank you. And let a friend know if you liked this episode, you know, share it with a friend who is into technology or you think could learn a little bit more about technology and hopefully, you know, they'll appreciate it as well. And you can follow us on social media at pinch to zoom pod or at pinch to zoom podcast. And um, that's yeah, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, that's thank you guys for listening. This is our last episode for July. We'll be talking to you in August next time we come back. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for listening. And we'll uh, see you in the next episode. Yeah, I'm Gabe, and I was the first to thank you for listening, so I'm better. Okay, Gabe. And the shopping cart, shopping cart award rolls Is towards right Gabe. Here. Per <laughs> usual. <laughs> oh, I need to oil up these wheel, wheels, but trust me, I'll take care of it well. We'll have the WD 40 award coming in next. So-